It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. What a disaster what's happening in Afghanistan as we speak. Another two more province, four more provinces, uh, province capitals have fallen. Uh, Kabul will be under siege within a week. What a disaster for this president and more importantly for our country, Mark Thiessen. At the bottom of the hour, he was a chief speechwriter for George W. Bush, columnist for The Washington Post, a key uh, staffer, too, with the Bush administration on 9-11. Uh, man, I cannot tell you how disheartening, disturbing all these series of events are uh, and how disappointed it is. Admiral Kirby, who I know how bright he is, General Austin, I've never spoken to him, but he's been doing this for 50 years, and then uh, General Milley. All these people are so bright. And who are the ones that said, this is a great exit strategy. Let's go now. We'll talk about that as uh, President Biden finds his approval rating still over 50 percent, which is stunning. But it is going in the wrong direction for him. Uh, when you look at things, his, his disapproval, immigration, we'll talk about that, at 35 percent approval there. 57 percent disapproval while crime rampages through our cities. Only 39 percent of the American people think he's doing a good job there. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Fabric, the easiest way to get affordable life insurance. Learn how to protect your family against the unexpected at meetfabric.com slash Brian. Number three. The White House, uh, they're more concerned about uh, trying to attack me than actually dealing with the problems of the country. I don't see them dealing with the border crisis. I don't see them dealing with inflation. Obviously, energy prices are out of control, uh, but yet they have this obsession with Florida. And they revised their account. 30% less cases in Florida, but it's still serious. COVID-19. As Delta digs in, the administration playing politics. You just heard it. They would rather brawl with the flaws when the fight over the virus. Uh, as decides, dig in. Always uh, and always on masks and vaccine mandates. And now, finally, people are once again talking about using, uh, get this, therapeutics to keep Americans out of the hospitals. No kidding. What about Regeneron and others? What are they waiting for? Number two. I firmly believe that it is a national security crisis. Immigration is just a subcomponent of it. Whether it be COVID, whether it be the, the, the massive crisis we're having on the southwest border right now, uh, or whether it just be the, the general tone of society and the anti-police movements. Rodney Scott talking about that. Uh, we know that. 21-year high in July. Uh, 200. And I believe it's over this. 212,000 illegals crossed our border that we know of. The Biden administration has caused this, and they know it, and it's spread, spreading illegals throughout the country, throughout Texas. 67% are in the Texas, the Lone Star State. And you wonder why COVID-19 cases are skyrocketing. Number one. I would expect attempted suicide attacks against U.S. personnel in Afghanistan. And I would also worry about green on blue attacks. There are many Afghan security forces that are immensely angry at what the U.S. has done here. And they could take out their weapon and shoot the Americans that they're working with. Do you believe that? 
Mike Morell, former deputy CIA director and former acting director of the CIA. It's all on you, Joe. Wanting to go for his one thing, not planning on how to go and wasting 20 years of battling in Afghanistan as we now scramble to recuse our citizens, rescue our citizens and allies before Kabul falls to the Taliban, which could be in a matter of days. Meanwhile, President Biden vacations in Delaware. Welcome to Saigon 2. So it's unbelievable what's taking place. Now we got to scramble in 3,000 fighters into Afghanistan, not to fight, but to get our people out. We have other forces in Kuwait and Qatar, just in case it doesn't go too well. Taliban were under agreement to negotiate with the sitting government, and they blew it off. They said the only thing they have held to is not targeting American, American troops, and why should they? They're able to get all our stuff, all our Humvees, all our equipment, and just go through all these major cities. 18 major provinces now in the hands of the Taliban. Yeah. I know they should have fought better, but there are no leaders. There's a lack of leadership, and we abandon the sitting government that we've been supporting and watching their elections for 20 years. Unbelievable. Kandahar, symbolically devastating. That's where the Taliban took root. Nobody wants the Taliban. And it is an Islamic fundamentalist regime who's ruthless. They are burning women alive for exposing their hair. They're forcing teenagers to marry off Taliban fighters. And if we don't go there to free the world. I understand that. We can't keep troops everywhere. I understand that. But it is our national interest to stay there. You should understand that. Mike Morell on CBS, Cut 13. The Afghan forces uh, needed the U.S. military um, to be capable, um, even marginally capable, of fighting the Taliban. So when the U.S. military left, uh, the capability of those forces declined significantly. That's one reason. The other reason is um, the will to fight um, declined, just just eroded overnight um, in April when we announced that we were leaving. So literally thousands of Afghan forces are abandoning their posts. Some of them are going home. Some of them are joining the Taliban because they can read the writing on the wall. You understand that? We don't understand that culture. But we understand that women should be not enslaved. We understand that women should be able to go to school. We understand that people should be able to play music. And we understand that that is a place where terror takes root. Al-Qaeda is still there. ISIS is still there. The Taliban will now be in charge. And you think they're going to listen to us? Do you know that we're now begging or asking the Taliban not to attack the embassy? Really? A country we steamrolled with a handful of troops when they were actually in power. Now we're asking not to shoot at us. Sir Sarah Varedo is the CEO of a great fund, the Independence Fund, and deals with so many veterans. And she said this in an interview with FoxNews.com. I got so many texts and phone calls, veterans saying, well, I know when the Vietnam, I know how the Vietnam veterans feel. I guess it's our Vietnam. And it's just feeling very defeated. A sense of that we've spent many of them more than a decade of back-to-back tours defending, and we feel like we have lost. That reflects the sense in our country. It isn't a forever war. In 2014, we went to a defensive posture. We haven't lost a man in a year and a half. We lose more, sadly, in training accidents here. More from Mike Morell, Cut 14. In the short term, there's a couple of concerns. Um, One is for the safety of the Americans there. Um, They are at risk from the Taliban. Um, The Taliban sees the U.S. military force that remains in the country to protect the embassy and the additional force that's coming in to uh, help with the evacuation, they see those forces as as invaders. So they are likely to try to attack them. So I would expect attempted suicide attacks against U.S. personnel in Afghanistan. Um, and, and I would also 
worry about what we call green on blue attacks. These are attacks by Afghan security forces on Americans. So there are many Afghan security forces that are immensely angry at what the U.S. has done here, and they could take out their weapon and uh, shoot the Americans uh, that they're working with. It's true. Uh, Mike Morell has the real fear, and he's right. But let's look at the bigger picture. Yeah, President Trump, I think, uh, uh, in, a, in a fit of haste, came out and said, we're getting out of Afghanistan. I want to get out, all our troops out of everywhere. It's dumb. It's lazy. But he was talking to military people. He never would have allowed this to happen because it looks terrible on the president of the United States. Nobody else. No one's going to say George Bush shouldn't have went in in 9-11. No one's going to say Barack Obama's surge wasn't effective in 2009. They were going to say, President Trump, you pulled us out and we left in humiliating fashion. And before you could leave, the Taliban had taken over. So the deal that was cut, Joe Biden blew up everything that Donald Trump did. And he will do it the rest of his years in office. And hopefully it's few. He'll do everything to undo Donald Trump. But that's the one deal he says he couldn't undo. No one believes that. Remember, Joe Biden on July 8th, when he announced all our troops are getting out by August 30th. I mean, keep in mind, he's the same guy that Bob Gates said has been he's a nice man, but he's been wrong on every national security and foreign policy issue over the last 40 years. Four decades. Bob Gates, who was good enough to serve under Barack Obama and George Bush. Cut 11. The year 2021. The date. Well, it's actually July 8th. Listen to this. Cut 11. Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No. It is not because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world and an Air Force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Do you trust the Taliban, Mr. President? Do you trust the Taliban, sir? Are you, is that a serious question? It's absolutely a serious question. Do you trust the Taliban? You no, I do not. The country to the Taliban. No, I do not trust the, the Taliban. I trust the capacity of the Afghan military, who is better trained, better equipped, and more, re, more competent in terms of conducting war. But you abandoned them. You took away their air power. So they lost, this, they lost their superiority. They're fighting a group that goes back to the Stone Age, who is ruthless. We trained that army differently. They didn't have leaders. It doesn't seem as though they fought too admirably. It seems like they got 12,500 troops left. Uh, as people say that they are their so-called elite fighters, we'll see if they choose to fight. In case you're saying, who cares about Afghanistan? I got to go to the beach. That's fine. But just so you know, I think we all know what 9-11 is. We know what al-Qaeda is capable of. We know about them blowing up the coal. They know about us blowing up the embassies. They know about the Kobar Towers. And you know about 9-11, right? You know, we killed bin Laden, but we didn't kill the organization. You know, Zawahiri is still out there, and they're coming right back there. And by the way, the Taliban seized a prison, released all the inmates that prisons believed to contain the majority of terrorists that were apprehended by American and Afghan forces. So the Taliban is in control. They took Herat. They took Mazari Sharif. They took Kandahar. And they're beginning to surround Kabul. That's the way we talked about it on The Five yesterday. I'll talk about it on Jesse Waters' show tonight, filling in for him. Mark Thiessen at the bottom of the hour on trying to put this whole thing in perspective. 
I do want to talk about another area which is not getting any coverage on any channel and any show outside this one. Maybe some radio talk shows, so I'll be corrected there, but not on the news channel. And even though the network news is is declining, they still get 26 million viewers at night. You think at some point they would talk about the disaster on our border? Where, as I mentioned, a 21-year high of surging, surging uh, illegal immigrants hit our borders. Thousands of unaccompanied minors, all because this is a migrant president, if I to quote Mexico, who is just letting people stream in, fly in, and then come right across. Thank goodness for people like Henry Cuellar and other Democratic mayors like Pete Sainez, who's um, in Laredo, Texas, Democrat who could not care less about party, cares about their people. Here's Henry Cuellar about the stunning numbers and the deteriorating border, many of which are not tested, 20% of which have COVID-19. 31. The men and women in green and blue need help. Bottom line, they're, they're, they're strained, uh, they're overworked. Uh, they don't need just a pat in the back. They actually need the resources, as many of the mayors and the county judges. They need the technology, the personnel, the equipment, uh, so they can do their job. Is that incredible? Uh, he's pleading for their help. He goes on, cut 32, about the reality on the border and what it's doing to Texas. How dare this president be critical of the governor of Texas when he is allowing, because it's federal responsibility, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, 1.4 million since he took over, to come in. And you say the, the governor has to get out of the way in Texas? First, you destroy the oil and gas industry in Texas, doing everything possible to do that. Then you allow the border to be flooded. 67% of all those coming across the border are uh, going through Texas. And then you criticize him for COVID coverage. Please, Neanderthal thinking. You thought I forgot about that? Cut 32. Total encounters uh, as of 8-11-2021 for FY21, total encounters were one3 uh, plus million individuals for the whole uh, U.S. Texas <clears throat> is handling about 67% of all the encounters, which adds up to uh, almost eight, uh, 800, uh, 897,000 individuals. The bottom line is Mexico, our neighbors of the South, can do more. They can do more. They've done it in the past. In fact, uh, back in 2015, 2016, uh, they were actually deporting more people than the U.S. Border Patrol was doing. Incredible. And they're going to primary him because they don't want that correct message to get out. They want the AOCs of the world crying in front of a makeshift detainment center for the children. Where was she crying when, they, when the Border Patrol leaked out pictures of the children in see-through tents all on top of each other? In the middle of McCallum, Texas, I didn't see her tears there, but instead the squad is trying to get somebody to run against Henry Cuellar, who's trying to tell the truth. And uh, Secretary Mayorkas should be ashamed of himself because by all accounts, he knows exactly what this administration is doing wrong and is choosing not to address it. Uh, Mark Thiessen, the bottom of the hour, but you're next, one 408 This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. 
It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Our understanding of the Taliban was very clear. We had a conditions-based plan for how we were going to get our young men and women back home. We were going to accomplish both missions. We were going to get our soldiers back. And we were going to make sure that this kind of thing that you're seeing happen today could not happen, which is a breeding ground for what could potentially be terror attacks coming from this very place. And that was very simple. Former Secretary of State, who's uh, finished number one in his class in, at West Point, Mike Pompeo. James, excuse me. Yes, James, listen, WLKF in Lakeland. Hey, James. How you doing, Brian? It's nice to talk with you. I do have a beef for you on this, and if you would be patient with me, because I'm not the best speaker in the world. But other countries closer in that region who have, can fight just as well as Americans should step up to the plate and put their forces in harm's way. Now, what say you about that? Now, I'll hang up and listen to your response. Like who? Like who? G- Germany, France, you name them. They were there. Over there. NATO did a great job. NATO, NATO did a great, NATO did a great job. Listen, you, you want to talk. I can't let you talk. NATO did a great job. They were stunned when Trump said we're going to begin to pull out, and they were flabbergasted that Joe Biden pulled out without any plan and without giving them even an exit strategy. Now the British got to go flying back in to protect their people. You cannot fault the world community, the Western world community anyway. You're blaming uh, America. What you say? You are blaming America. Let oh, yeah, no, we, we, this is our national security. The attacks on 9-11 came from there. And they have just released all the terrorists from the prisons. And the Taliban welcome. It's against their religion to even reject ISIS or al-Qaeda. Please understand, you may be sick of the war, but the people fighting the war feel like they've been totally let down by their government. And also, I put the Secretary of Defense, Austin, he's a general, he knows better. General Milley should have quit first. And you should also, Admiral Kirby is one of the smartest. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Hardest people around. He has to be the spokesperson for this terrible policy. They all should have handed in their uniforms. Dave, W-H-I-O. Hey, Dave. 
Hey, I'm doing good. Uh, I just wondered if you'd want to talk about uh, therapeutics a little bit. It, it seems like we've got a real problem with the vaccine. You know, they want us to have booster shots and everybody's screaming about masks. But with the therapeutics, which have seemed to have been rejected. Remember Trump? Dave, I could help, Dave, I could help you here. Ready? You're 100% right. I should have been talking more about it today. Regeneron is being reoffered to hospitals. Uh, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, but these therapeutics, the mon- monoclonal colonial antibody treatments, there's 600,000 treatments out there that they now have to reoffer to hospitals and to get to doctor's offices so they don't have to get to hospitals. 100% right. We've stopped treating this. We saw oh, you don't get a vaccine. We don't count natural immunity either. Unbelievable. But, Dave, good point. If you get this and are vaccinated or not, there's treatment for it. The president got it already, and we ignore it. When we come back, I expand more in Afghanistan, but I'll talk about COVID-19 and the attack on Florida and how the CDC gave incorrect numbers. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. There is no doubt what's going to happen here. The Taliban is going to take over the government probably in a matter of weeks. They will allow, despite what they say, they will allow al-Qaeda back into the country and al-Qaeda will start to rebuild. And not only will al-Qaeda that is currently in Afghanistan or in Pakistan uh, be there, but the al-Qaeda guys who have been in Iran for a long time um, will join them in Afghanistan. And I expect extremists from around the world will want to go to Afghanistan now in sort of a celebration of the defeat of the United States. So I think the capability of the terrorists in Afghanistan is going to um, increase rapidly over the next several months. Yeah, it's, it's true. Uh, that was our choice, too. When people say, well, we're tired of war. Tired of what? Since 2014, in the defensive posture, we haven't lost a guy, thankfully, in a year and a half. It was not a hot war. It was holding. Holding off al-Qaeda, ISIS. Now out of the prisons are these terror groups to celebrate like they did over the Soviet Union with our help. Mark Thiessen joins us now. He's as agonized as I am, writes for the Washington Post, Fox News contributor. He's a fellow of the American Enterprise Institute, work in the Bush administration. Mark, how do you put in perspective how embarrassing this is for our country? I, I, as embarrassing as this is, I want to take it another level lower, okay, to, to show you how bad this is. You want to fully appreciate the disgrace that's happening right now. Here's the lead of a New York Times story that appeared late yesterday. American negotiators, according to the New York Times, American negotiators are trying to extract assurances from the Taliban yep. that they will not attack the U.S. Embassy in Kabul if the extremist group takes over the country's government and ever wants to receive U.S. foreign aid. U.S. foreign aid, the Biden administration is dangling U.S. foreign aid to the regime that aided and abetted the 9-11 attacks. And we're saying, please, please, pretty please don't attack our embassy or you might put at risk your foreign aid. They don't care about U.S. foreign aid. First of all, the idea that we would even give foreign aid to the Taliban. That that's even on the table as a possibility is absolutely appalling. But these are the people who George Bush said, you have a choice. You can give up al-Qaeda 
or you can lose power. And they said, we'll lose power rather than break with al-Qaeda. The idea that they care about U.S. foreign aid, I mean, that is the worst. That is a projection of weakness on the part of the United States that is unprecedented in my lifetime. It is. And uh, Mark, a couple of things. People say, well, you know, he said he was going to leave. He had to do it. This deal was already in place. Really, is this the one deal that Donald Trump did that Joe Biden coveted that he just said was sacrosanct? <laughs> really? And as soon as they broke their word, their vow, their agreement, that made them ripe to go back and say, OK, deals off. Uh, air covers back. Our, we'll take our base back. We're not moving. And that's it. All we had to do was supply uh, situational air cover. And all we had to do was keep 2,500 troops there. NATO was going to double it, and we would have been fine. Instead, the British got to come back in to save their people. We got to put 3,000 in to get our people out with 4,000 on the outskirts ready to jump in should this thing go awry. I want you to hear what Jack Keane told us when people say this was inevitable. Cut 21. Warfare in Afghanistan is seasonal. They starts in the spring and it ends in the fall. And the Taliban pack up their bags and go to, Afghan, uh, go to Pakistan during the winter. So why are we doing a withdrawal right in the middle of the fighting season, in the heart of it? The withdrawal should have been done during what? The winter. And we should have extended our withdrawal out until sometime next year to get all of that done and make certain that as the Taliban offensive came this year, we were able to provide the resources to counter that offensive. I mean, it's just basic sense. But you know who knows that? Biden knows that. You know who knows that? Austin knows that. Admiral Kirby knows that. General Milley knows that. Yeah. I mean, first of all, there shouldn't have been a withdrawal. I mean, do we not learn our lessons from experience? Look, Joe Biden is the guy who presided over the U.S. withdrawal from Iraq. Right. So we, we you know, in a, we, we decided under the Bob administration that Iraq was over. The surge had succeeded. Uh, it was time to pull out. There were only 700 ISIS fighters left in the country at the time. And Joe Biden said, I'm going to end this goddamn war. And he pulled and he presided over the U.S. troop withdrawal from Iraq. And what happened within months? The ISIS had reconstituted itself and built a caliphate the size of Great Britain. They, they launched a, a frenzy of terror in that country, uh, beheaded American journalists, buried people alive, crucified people, and they, and they spread across the world. They carried out 143 attacks in 29 countries that killed 2,000 people. And guess what happened? We had to send America's troops back to crush the terrorist threat again, which Donald Trump did. Do we not learn our lesson from experience? Do we think that, that that's not going to repeat itself? The guy who presided over that debacle, even Barack Obama didn't withdraw from our Afghan. Barack Obama came into power promising to end George Bush's wars, and he was going to pull and he wanted to pull troops out of both Iraq and Afghanistan. Even he was smart enough to realize I can't pull out of Afghanistan after what happened with ISIS. And, General, and, and yeah. here's Biden doesn't learn the freaking lesson. Well, we have in General Mattis' book, General Mattis told me I, did, I never would have put it in there if I thought that Joe Biden was going to run for president. I don't want to be political. But in the book, General Mattis tries to explain to Vice President Biden this is the wrong time to pull out troops. There's a huge threat here, and it would send the wrong message. He blew him off and said, yeah, you guys always want to fight wars. You want to fight wars forever. We're pulling out. 
He wouldn't listen to anyone. He had his aides tell him what would happen if we pulled out when we did. He didn't care. There was an emergency meeting on Wednesday night. He was at home in Delaware. He's back there now. He could always come out and say something stupid like, oh, go get a lower prescription drug cost in a dumb dumb teleprompter speech he could barely make out yesterday. But he can't talk about something like this? Unbelievable. And these spokespeople got to come out and and justify it and say things like, well, Donald Trump was going to do it, but he would have done it conditions based. And I know he was ill at uh, Trump in a lazy fashion, wouldn't examine the real issue, just said, I don't like Afghanistan. Let's pull out. But he did listen to Lindsey Graham. He did listen to Jack Keane. I know that for a fact. He would actually amend some of his rules. He never would allow this. And if nothing else, his ego wouldn't have let him, uh, Mark, because he knows. It was his decision, and the Taliban in charge, and Americans in harm's way. He wouldn't have. He would not have put up with it. You know, here's here's the thing that uh, I never understood Trump's desire to get down to zero, but he actually didn't get down to zero. Right? He was he was always he always when the reality of the situation uh, faced itself, he didn't pull out everybody from Syria. He didn't pull everybody out of Iraq. He didn't pull everybody out of uh, of Afghanistan. Um, Here's the thing I don't understand: is that. You know, we we had 2,500 troops in that country, right? We have 3,000 troops in Spain. I mean, that 2,500 troops is not a lot of forces. This is not like this was draining the military, putting a strain on us. They weren't engaged in combat. They were they weren't nation building. They weren't policing. They were providing support for the Afghan forces who can't defeat the Taliban without that planning, intelligence, and air support. That's all they were doing, and they were there to whack the terrorists when we get intelligence. We're never going to be able to whack the terrorists because no one's going to give us intelligence. The the people who've been abandoned by the United States, they're never going to give us intelligence. And the other thing is people say, well, after 20 years, you know, we we, got to get out. Like, you know, we've failed in our mission. We're never going to succeed. You know what? Our mission was not to turn Afghanistan into a Jefferson democracy. Never was. Democracy. Our mission was to prevent a regime from coming to power that wakes up every morning thinking America needs to be destroyed and, inv- and create a safe haven for terrorists who want to attack us. And by that standard, the mission was a complete success. I don't care if Afghanistan is a Jeffersonian democracy. I care that their leaders don't wake up every morning thinking America is the great Satan and, 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 and harbor people who want to come here and carry out 9-11 only worse. You know, we yeah. think 9-11 is the worst thing that can happen to us. The reason we haven't had another 9-11 for 20 years is because we were in Afghanistan. We were denying them sanctuary because we were in, Af- in, in East Africa whacking the terrorists because we're whacking the terrorists in, in Yemen and all these other places. So people take for granted the fact that we haven't been attacked. It's because we were there. I agree. We denied them safe haven. Listen, Mark, 100 percent. You wrote a book about it. Ned Price, a State Department spokesperson, looked scared to death yesterday that someone's going to ask him a real question. And he did get a real question from a CBS reporter. Cut 10. But there is no way you can sit there and say that the people of Afghanistan watching the Taliban take over provinces, watching their country crumble, are now going to watch American diplomats get on military planes and leave the country, that that sends a signal that the U.S. is with them in the long haul diplomatically. Uh, Look at what we've been doing. Look at the investment we have made in Afghanistan. Look at the investments uh, that we have made. This is about one thing and one thing only. It's about the priority this president attaches to the safety and security of Americans uh, who serve in this government, civilian Americans uh, who serve uh, in this government. Uh, that is not a priority uh, that we are willing to risk. 
What a terrible answer. Uh, I mean, it's apathetic. So, so here's the thing. Their, their rationale is that we have an over-the-horizon capability, right? We can whack these guys. If, they, if anything, if Al-Qaeda comes back in the country, we can whack them. We can, say, we can uh, send uh, planes from Uzbekistan. We can send planes from the Persian Gulf. Uh, that. No, you can't because you need intelligence. You need people on the ground to tell you where the bad guys are. We don't know where Al-Qaeda is in the country. Nobody's going to give us intelligence if they're being raped and murdered and having their hands cut off and living under the, uh, the, the Taliban rule. Nobody's going to give us intelligence if we abandon them. And nobody's going to give us intelligence if we don't have any, anyone on the ground. So you know, the, the reality is we're not going to be able to whack the terrorists. We're not going to be able to, do, to, to protect, the, uh, protect, the, uh, protect the country uh, without, without a small presence on the ground. And I'll tell you the last thing, Brian, is that this Khalid Sheikh Mohammed predicted this. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the mastermind of 9-11, Jim Mitchell, who was the, the guy who interrogated Khalid Sheikh Mohammed at a black CIA black site, he was sitting with him, and he's a good friend of mine, and he was sitting with him, in, with him in his cell one day. And Khalid Sheikh Mohammed turned to him, and he said, he said, you know what? You may win some battlefield successes occasionally. And this is a direct quote. He said, we will win. This is Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, mastermind of 9-11. We will win. Because Americans don't realize we do not need to defeat you militarily. We only need to fight long enough for you to defeat yourselves by quitting. Joe Biden right now is fulfilling Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's prophecy. They are having a celebration in Guantanamo Bay right now, watching the news of this happening. Um, and he's right. He predicted this. He predicted that America would not have—he we... told, told the Americans, you do not have the stomach to, 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 for this fight. And you will eventually quit. Your people will abandon you. You will leave, and you will, and we will win. And we are we are handing him that victory right now. It is the most shameful thing I've ever seen in my in my career. In right, we're not being forced out. We chose to get out, and we're getting out in a humiliating fashion, which is not uh, reminiscent of the valor in which we served. Our men and women have sacrificed. Mark Thiessen, I wish we had a better uh, topic to report on, but it's the most important. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, Brian. All right. 1-866-408-7669. Now, most of you don't even agree with me. And it's all right. I, I don't, you know, I don't do the show to make sure you agree with everything I say. I don't think it would even be interesting if you did. I have no regrets. I, sadly, I know I'm right. I don't, I'm, that's not a gut feeling. I know I'm right. Because if you study al-Qaeda, if you study ISIS, if you study Islamic extremism, if you see that Russia, China, as well as Pakistan and Iran border this country and we're leaving in a war that's not a hot war, it's not a 20-year endless war, just like, for example, we have presence in Japan and Korea. Does that work for our, uh, us on our national interest? You bet. Guess who's also in that region? China. And now Vietnam has turned into an ally. Who would have thought that in India? We would have no influence if we pulled out of, uh, of Europe. But I guarantee you the Russians would have steamrolled it already. And that's a great point that Mark brought up. We have more troops in Spain, and I would add Italy, than we had in Afghanistan. And we did have partners. one 408 7669 We're following a bunch of stories, too, uh, much more than just this, even though it's uh, vitally important. What is happening with the $3.5 trillion? A kick to the gut to Nancy Pelosi. You're not going to believe this. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We know today that many of the face cloth coverings that people wear are not very effective in reducing any of the virus movement in or out. Either you're breathing out or you're breathing in. And in fact, if you're in the upper Midwest right now, anybody who's wearing their face cloth covering can tell you they can smell all the smoke that we're still getting. Pretty important when Dr. Osterholm, who's a key confidant of the administration, comes out and is not impressed with cloth masks. And he got such blowback, he said, well, that's not exactly what I meant. How do you take that two ways? That's the problem. When you have a bunch of mandates out there, I want everyone to wear masks. I want everyone to get a vaccine. Well, turns out the vaccine, uh, I took it, feel good about it. Uh, masks, I'll wear it as little as possible. Never helped me. I, rare, I wear it uh, only when I'm forced to. I don't believe they're effective. There's a lot of people that don't. There's an Irish study that reveals that. Dr. Ostom shows that. For my goodness, Anthony Fauci said for the longest time it gives you a false sense of security. Then he quickly reversed that. So even though Arnold Schwarzenegger feels differently, I kind of agree with Dr. Osterholm, who is hardly somebody that was a a sycophant to Donald Trump or any right-wing causes. Not that there should be politics involved. I want you to hear what Arnold Schwarzenegger said. Cut 42. There is a virus here. It kills people. And the only way we prevent it is to get vaccinated, to wear masks, to do social distancing, washing your hands all the time, and not just to think about well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom. Because with freedom comes obligations and, uh, and responsibilities. We cannot just say, I have the right to do X, Y, and Z. When you affect other people. How, number one, why are you social distancing? Did they tell you three or six feet? We took the six feet from 1918, then realized there's no reason for it. I'm not social distancing. Then they told us we can get it outside. Now we can't get it outside. Why are you washing your hands? That's proven to be theater. You can wash your hands and not get a cold. That's fine. Nothing to do with this virus because it can't be transferred. It can't be transferred from services or people. It could be aerosol. Fine. Schwarzenegger, and I thought this was brought up last night on Gutfeld, to have an Austrian say, screw your freedom, is a little disconcerting. The last one actually uh, was Hitler. So I'm not saying he's Hitler, but it's kind of disconcerting to think that somebody who came from an oppressive country wants us to screw our freedom. Uh, We don't need pulse of freedom to run a business, to run a business effectively. Arnold Schwarzenegger used to own a restaurant while he's a zillionaire. What if that restaurant was the only source of living for the managers and owners? They've been told to screw their freedom. Nobody is convinced that any of these mayors and governors will have a sunset on their restrictions. We just witnessed it. Remember 15 days to slow the spread? A year and a half later, it took for California to open up. We're not going to be idiots and sheep and shut down again. And all Governor Abbott is doing, all Governor DeSantis is doing, is saying, I want to leave it to parents when it comes to kids, and I don't want to destroy businesses. It's up to them. Some schools are going out and saying this, and they're demanding that they that everyone's got to wear masks, and some colleges are saying you can't come back on campus unless you get a vaccine. And for the most part, the courts have stayed out of it because they can't really rule on private property on private interest, on the private sector. And you knew have people like Governor Cuomo and Governor Gavin Newsom, who right now Cuomo is leaving in disgrace and Newsom should be. They were in control of our lives for way too long. 
that uh, governor of Illinois in control of our lives for way too long. Governor Whitmer, they had to sue their way for their freedom. So it's not screw your freedom. We get information. We adjust our lives accordingly. Enough of letting politicians run our lives. Hey, go to BrianKillMe.com, order any of my books, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers, Andrew Jackson, The Miracle of New Orleans, and of course, Thomas Jefferson, The Tripoli Pirates, and George Washington's Secret Six, as well as the pre-order of The President and Freedom Fighter. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Geraldo Rivera standing by. Bottom of the hour, Congressman Jim Banks, member of the House Armed Services Committee and the Republican Study Committee, who went really went across to, uh, party, excuse me, state lines and said, Senator J.D. Vance. He's got he wants I want him to be the next senator as so many are lining up to replace Senator Portman, in Ohio. Of course, Geraldo from Ohio. And I got to get Congressman Jim Banks's take on this news coming out of The New York Times. And it says that Nancy Pelosi was informed through a letter that nine so-called Democratic moderates said we will not even look at the three point five trillion dollar offer. That's the one on reconciliation until you pass the one point two bipartisan deal now. A hundred members of the Democratic caucus in the House said, we will not pass the bipartisan uh, bipartisan infrastructure deal until you give us the $3.5 trillion deal. She only had a five-vote margin to begin with. This whole thing's in trouble. Big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The White House, uh, they're more concerned about uh, trying to attack me than actually dealing with the problems of the country. I don't see them dealing with the border crisis. I don't see them dealing with inflation. Obviously, energy prices are out of control, uh, but yet they have this obsession with Florida. Uh, yes, they do, and it's insulting. And guess what? Guess what? The CDC had it wrong. They doubled the number of cases of COVID-19 in Florida. The CDC playing politics again. As Delta digs in, the administration still playing politics. We'll talk about that. And finally, people are once again talking about using therapeutics to keep Americans out of the hospital. What happened to Regeneron? What happened to hydroxychloroquine? We'll find out. Number two. I firmly believe that it is a national security crisis. Immigration is just a subcomponent of it. Whether it be COVID, whether it be the, the, the massive crisis we're having on the southwest border right now, uh, or whether it just be the, the general tone of society and the anti-police movements. Rodney Scott speaking up. A 21-year high in illegals coming across our border. 212,000 in the, in the furnace, which is July as opposed to June. The administration has caused this. They know it. And the spread of COVID-19 through illegals is inexcusable. The few that are tested, 20% are positive. Some are just let out. Number one. I would expect attempted suicide attacks against U.S. personnel in Afghanistan. And I would also worry about green on blue attacks. There are many Afghan security forces that are immensely angry at what the U.S. has done here. And they could take out their weapon and shoot the Americans that they're working with. Former acting director of the CIA, Mike Burrell on CBS. It's all on you, President Biden. 
Wanting to go one, wanting to go is one thing. Not planning how to go and wasting 20 years of battling in Afghanistan to neutralize terror activities and now have to use emergency methods to rescue our 4,000 citizens still in the nation's capital while abandoning the Afghan troops we train. Meanwhile, President Biden vacations in Delaware wasn't even in the emergency meeting. Welcome to Saigon 2. Uh, with us right now is Geraldo Rivera. He's got a big special coming out on Fox Nation. He plays a vital role in this whole investigation of JFK. I saw Oliver Stone's in it, but Geraldo's always been a bigger name. Geraldo, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. A very spirited discussion this morning. You're a, a smart, sincere, strong person, and I, I, I cherish our friendship. and. Right. And I'm a big fan. While giving you a nod that you're on the ground, that you've experienced all this stuff, more war than most Army uh, officers, I get it. But from the big picture, and let's not talk about should we be there 20 years, let's talk about right now. You, you, there's a way to leave these things, and there's a way to decelerate. And would you agree this wasn't the way? Well, it's certainly chaotic and disorganized, and it certainly seems as if the Biden administration was totally unprepared. And I'll I'll go further than that. Uh, These uh, negotiations that have been ongoing with the Taliban on and off over the last several years in Doha, fake. Never any sincere intent from these crazy people to make peace or make uh, an orderly transition. They just were biding their time until the United States was ready to leave. And as soon as they, as soon as the United States indicated they were leaving, we were leaving, they, they struck. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I, and I do believe that you give much too much uh, leeway to the Afghan forces about their own inability to even try to defend their country. Yes, the United States pulled out. But 300,000, I've seen the equipment they have, uh, as opposed to what the Taliban have. The Afghan army absolutely chickened out. Well, I I have not seen much footage. I think that's the intent. But I will say they were, I've been told they have between 11 and 15,000 so-called elite fighters that are camped in Kabul. And I will say this. This is what I've heard from three different officers who have texted me. And they said, it's not that they're not willing to fight. It's they have no leadership. And when they when the pullout was announced in May, panic set in because of the brutality of their enemy. And I bring you back to a great leader like George Washington. This famously in his first battle with the British after the Battle of Boston, our guys ran the wrong way. They said, screw it. We're going to lose. We're out of here. He was actually physically turning them around. And they said that was it. He revamped his leadership and he took charge. It's not the first army that needs to question their courage. But what I'm trying to say is, having said all that, the evaluation of the men that wear the camouflage, nobody told Joe Biden that this is the way to go. He also said with 2,500 and 5,600 NATO uh, NATO forces on the ground, they don't move. We don't give up an inch. And he pulled them out anyway. And we've lost that influence. In fact, I want you to hear what Mike Morell says is the big danger now. Cut 13. The Afghan forces uh, needed the U.S. military um, to be capable, um, even marginally capable, of fighting the Taliban. So when the U.S. military left, uh, the capability of those forces declined significantly. That's one reason. The other reason is um, the will to fight. 
um, declined, just, just eroded overnight um, in April when we announced that we were leaving. So literally thousands of Afghan forces are abandoning their posts. Some of them are going home. Some of them are joining the Taliban because they can read the writing on the wall. And now in come ISIS and al-Qaeda. In fact, this is what he said about the chances of terrorists coming back. Cut 25. I'm sorry, 15. There is no doubt at what's going to happen here. The Taliban is going to take over the government probably in a matter of weeks. They will allow, despite what they say, they will allow al-Qaeda back into the country, and al-Qaeda will start to rebuild. And not only will al-Qaeda that is currently in Afghanistan or in Pakistan uh, be there, but the al-Qaeda guys who have been in Iran for a long time um, will join them in Afghanistan. And I expect extremists from around the world will want to go to Afghanistan now in sort of a celebration of the defeat of the United States. So I think the capability of the terrorists in Afghanistan is going to um, increase rapidly over the next several months. How does that sound? Point one, President Trump announced that we were pulling out of that fight. Point two, I believe that the Taliban has been in waiting, understanding that they could not lose this fight, just as they could not lose the fight against the Soviet Union, against the British Empire, against Alexander the Great, against uh, Genghis Khan. The Afghan indigenous forces knew once they got crazy religious, as they did with Mullah Omar having his vision in Kandahar in the 1990s, that this was going to be an Islamic uh, uh, caliphate, uh, they have been fanatic and waiting, biding their time, playing us for fools. We could have stayed 20, 30, 40, 50 years. They, the second we left, they were ready to move, and the, the breathtaking speed that has caught all the so-called expert that you now are playing sound bites from, uh, utterly by surprise, not surprising, not surprising, they, they far more motivated force. I believe that the, the danger of green on blue is very real. I think that the Afghans are so... Uh, uh, untrustworthy, their military, that our people could have been targeted as they have been from time to time over these long years. Trillion dollars, 2,500 casualty uh, deaths, uh, you know, a total distraction. We got bin Laden in 2011. We should have gone then. And we have the capability now with the super bombs and everything else to strike them where the, if al-Qaeda gets going again, if ISIS gets going again, which I do not believe is going to happen on the scale that it's being announced, by the way. I think they'll be banditry. They'll be in caves and doing this or that. I don't think they're going to be out in the open, uh, you know, terrorism, Inc., now based in uh, Afghanistan. That's not going to happen. We have the capability with drones, with B-52s, with other uh, over-the-horizon capabilities to keep them at bay. But we've got to get at it. It's a dump. It is a place that is impossible to, uh, to modernize. Uh, I thought once everybody got cell phones that at least they'd be able to reach the outside world and have a, a broader appreciation. But you know what happened instead? Instead, those cell phones were used by the Taliban to become the biggest opium dealers on earth. Afghanistan is now a doper 
country. That's what it really is right now. You could see the opium fields as far as your eye can see. That's what it is. Geraldo, uh, what, uh, what why don't we leave South Korea? It's not our fight. North Korea and South Korea, it's not our fight. Do you know how quick it's North Korea— It's far more No, but, but, but listen, uh, if, if we pulled our troops out, uh, North Korea would take over South Korea probably in a month. So we stay. I'm not so sure about so, that. So we, so we so stay. Sure yeah, but, but we, so we stay. And, and we look around, and as years go by, the influence becomes more and more vital as China emerges as our number one threat. Nothing has to emerge as our number one threat. Everything you said about what's going to happen in the future of Afghanistan has got relevance and truth to it. Nothing you, you didn't make up one thing. But I do think there's good people there. But the main reason is not for that. It's not even to save women as much as we think it's terrific. They're being burned alive and married off to Taliban fighters as we speak. So I'm not saying that. I am saying that it is in our interest to have a strategic presence there. Nobody's interested, selfishly interested. While we understand that the stuff that we've been able to pick up, the tactics, the motivations, the alliances in that region, while scaling back since 2014 in a defensive posture, has been invaluable. And as we stayed... As more and more people saw more and more what we were about, people say, well, America does not cut and run. It's been 20 years. And if you want to decelerate, I understand. Hey, we're paying all the money. We're paying for this. Okay. We're going to be cutting that back uh, a quarter and a quarter, and we're not going to announce it. The, the government's going to gradually doing X, Y, and Z, but we're not going to make it a big deal because Taliban will take advantage of that. And every year that goes by is more – another year in which the, the al-Qaeda and ISIS is not taking root. Instead – China has just made an announcement that as soon as the Taliban take, can, uh, take uh, Kabul, they will recognize the government, as will Russia and everybody else. There goes that influence in the region. And, and to me, we benefited mightily from it. Remind you that the reason you mentioned Russia rather than the Soviet Union is that the Soviet Union crashed and burned because they, they tried to own it. We didn't try to own it. We were down to 2,500. They had 100,000. Afghanistan will be to China. We, 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 we should celebrate China trying to take over Afghanistan. I'll give you one quick story. Iran lost two dozen diplomats in Afghanistan. They were killed by uh, Taliban, Iran. Uh, Iran's diplomats. Iran threatened to invade the western uh, Afghanistan to seek vengeance. The Taliban leader at the time said, Iran will determine the day it comes into Afghanistan. We will determine the day Iran leaves Afghanistan. It is, Brian, I'm telling you, to see it, to feel it, to live it. They think Christianity is a capital offense. It doesn't matter. You know, it is they. It, that just they, doesn't they matter. Are, they, the, the Taliban that runs. The, there, there's no way we're going to Americanize and what you describe as the, you know, the, the relative, advantage for America, the, the relative uh, uh, equilibrium that the presence of the American forces had. You're really talking about a hundred year commitment. That's really what you're talking about. That's what we have in Korea, a hundred year commitment. That's what we have in Germany, a hundred year commitment. It would be another commitment like that in, a, in an area of no real strategic importance. But I told you about Afghanistan right. is that it could be a base for international terrorism, and it is a doper 
country, but we, we sanction them. We keep them but out it, of the, yeah. uh, Ameri- uh, the world strategic, marketplace. It is of strategic importance. We didn't own it. We had 2,500 troops there. We were supporting some of their institutions. We would have gradually decreased. And anybody who thinks this was well thought out, I think we agree on this. We if do. anyone thinks we agree on this, that anyone we, thinks this is the way to leave, I think is really uh, should, should take a breathalyzer. Uh, <laughs> At least. Right. Geraldo, thanks least. so much. Enjoy the All debate. Right, uh, thank you. one uh, 866 This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I believe that we should have left in early twenty, early 2002 when we had either killed, captured, or driven from Afghanistan, al-Qaeda. And we should have left, and we should have told the Taliban, if you ever let al-Qaeda back into the country, we will be back. Um, We should never have made the decision that we are going to try to change Afghanistan into a liberal democracy. That was simply not possible. We should have never tried. Uh, we didn't. Uh, Lawyer Jirga is not a liberal democracy. That's what we called for. That was Mike Morell there. And I think we, we went over to, they're going to write about this forever. They're going to say, well, if we just focused on Afghanistan early, we could have pulled out. But instead, we took a lot of resources, put them to Iraq. That's one school of thought. That was, why would we leave in 2002 without getting bin Laden? We thought he was somewhere there and the country couldn't find him for another 11 years. The other thing is, you just leave a base of influence in the region. And we left, Taliban was out. So who we got, we got to go find the Taliban and tell them if they ever take power again. The Northern Alliance, we thought, would take over. Uh, then we'll go after him. But we didn't go after him for the longest time. We only went after him when they killed 3,000-plus Americans, and they're still killing him today. Not the Taliban, al-Qaeda, affiliated with the Taliban. Rhonda, listening on the Fox News Radio app. Hey, Rhonda. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Um, So listening to, you know, what's going on in Afghanistan and listening to what's going on at the southern border, it's like the perfect storm for terrorists to easily come into our country. This is what people don't understand. Criminals are, they're professionals. They look for every opportunity. And what a great opportunity. The southern border is wide open. You've got a mess in Afghanistan. How easy would it be for them just to come over? Absolutely. And with their drugs. And, and we found prayer rugs and other things down there. But thankfully, we haven't seen a huge terrorist influx over the past 20 plus years as we come up on the 20th year since 9-11 attacks. But we really under attack since 94, if you think about it, really 93 on the first World Trade Center. That was affiliated with al-Qaeda. Ramzi Youssef was a nephew of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. And then, of course, the embassy bombings after that, then the coal in 2001. And then we know it in 2000 and then 2001, we know what happened. And we're vulnerable and we're distracted. And this was an unforced error, just like the border. He made a problem for himself and then went on vacation. And wants to talk about prescription drugs decreased. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. We are facing a serious challenge. 
at our southern border. It has also been made more difficult because of the, of the fact that the prior administration dismantled our asylum system. The situation at the border is one of the toughest challenges we face. It is complicated, changing, and involves vulnerable people at a time of a global pandemic. Uh, that is the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard by a guy that can't possibly mean what he says. By all accounts, he knows what's gone wrong at the border and has to go by the Biden policies. That was Alejandro Mayorkas, Secretary of Homeland Security, watching the border fall apart because of stuff they did. But it's easier just to blame Trump. Congressman Jim Banks is not bar- uh, buying it. He's a member of the House Armed Services Committee, and he is the head of the Republican Study Committee. Congressman, welcome back. Well, the numbers are stunning when you think about how many illegals have crossed the border uh, just this month and 1.3 million since Biden took office. What is your take? Brian, it's just uh, it's just unbelievable. I mean, 212,000 illegals in the month of July alone. If you remember a few months ago, they were talking about how border crossings are seasonal. And they talked about the summer months is when the numbers actually decline. And it's been just the opposite at the border. As Democrats talk about amnesty, as you know, they've plugged amnesty into the $3.5 trillion uh, uh, a reconciliation package. It's just become a magnet on top of all of the other foolish and intentional uh, actions of the Biden administration that's caused this humanitarian crisis to get worse and worse. I, mean, it's, I, I was just at the border with President Trump uh, about six weeks ago. I led the largest group of members of Congress ever. We went out the night the night before we joined President Trump and he just it was just heartbreaking to see the flood of migrants, uh, small children, um, uh, young kids coming over the border with the the promise of amnesty. But this is only going to get worse and worse and worse. And the repercussions are, are terrible for our country. Well, it is, too, because you've got COVID-19. And you, when you have a third of them ta- uh, or 20 percent of them testing positive and many not being tested, because that means if they test positive, we now become their parent and have to take care of them. So we're choosing not to test them. How could you look at Texas and say the governor's irresponsible when you're allowing 895,000, that's 67 percent of them, to go uh, of the illegals to flood into that country, let alone the gotaways. Yeah, it, it just goes to show how unserious the Biden administration is is about the COVID uh, nineteen uh, up, uptick at this moment. I mean, when it's, when it's directly related to what's coming across the border. I mean, 20, 20, as you said, twenty percent rates of, of testing positive those who come across the border. Um, they they put them on uh, airplanes. They they fly them to wherever they want to go. Um, after they're apprehended and and processed. I mean, this is just it's a giant cluster at the border. I mean, it's hard to describe it to people in my district in northeast Indiana. When I tell them about what I've seen firsthand, they just can't believe it. They can't believe that a president would allow this to happen. But then when I tell them that this is exactly what Democrats and Joe Biden intended to happen, that, that, that should make anyone even angrier. I mean, recognizing that this is all a ploy by the Democrats to flood the border, with illegal migrants, give them amnesty so that they can vote for Democrats in the next election. I mean, it's enough to make you want to beat your head against the wall. Well, the other thing is, I think they're losing the Hispanic vote uh, to Republicans. I mean, you guys did surprisingly well in the Hispanic community, especially in Texas. Now, if you're naturalized by Democrats, you'll be loyal to them. 
But if you if you are have an administration that stops watching your back and watch your uh, ranch get ruined and 10 cities pop up in the middle of your city full of people we don't know with uh, viruses we can't find out about. George P. Bush was on last night. Listen to what he said. Cut 29. In the short term, in terms of what we're looking at on our southern border, it's out of control. Human trafficking is spiking. Homicides are up. Our, our Border Patrol agents and our ICE agents are totally overwhelmed. Uh, so we need a federal government that's actually going to step up uh, instead of platitudes and rhetoric that we're getting from the secretary, from the president and other members of the administration. We want to follow through with action. But to your point, it's going to create overnight Republicans in the valley. And that's part of the reason why people like President Trump did so well in the Hispanic community and why a candidate like myself will continue to uh, to talk about these issues, because it's good for border communities to have security. And you're, you're heading up the Republican study group. What have you guys done to capitalize on the momentum from the last election? Well, a, a number of things, Brian. I mean, I, I, first and foremost, uh, we're, we're leading the way in exposing uh, this crisis at the border in the House uh, and, and telling the, the, the true story to the American people and exposing what's going on there. I mean, one, one thing that we've done is we've joined Governor Abbott in his call, by the way, while the, fed, while the federal government falls flat on their face, uh, and, and every state, like Indi- the state of Indiana, every state in the country recognizes that we're, at this point we're all border states. Let me tell you, when I was at the last time I was at the border, Border Patrol agents told us that because they're spending exponentially more of their time on processing migrants coming across the border, they're not able to stop the flow of illegal drugs. Where do those drugs end up? They end up in, in small towns and places like northeast Indiana. I mean, it's a direct a direct uh, association between what goes on at the border and, and communities that I represent uh, here in the Fort Wayne uh, area. But on top of that, it's the it's the crime waves. I mean, we see, we're seeing record crime waves in communities in yeah. big cities and communities all over the country. And the, these Border Patrol agents tell us that they, 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 they apprehend 15, 16, 17-year-old boys who come across their they, – they come across uh, – the border as as uh, unaccompanied minors, and they put them on airplanes and fly them to Chicago, where they join MS-13, and then they're arrested, and then they they trace them all the way back to McAllen and the Del Rio stations in Texas. So we we join we a Republican Study Committee. We've joined uh, Governor Abbott in his call for every state in the country, especially states with Republican governors, to step up to the plate, send resources to help build the wall, to help te- Texas build the wall on behalf of the country. To send National Guard troops, I know the state of Ohio sent the gov- governor of Hawaii, Ohio, recently sent uh, state troopers to the border. We have to stem the flow because it's only getting worse. The right. federal government's not going to come and step up to the plate to help solve the problem. We're, uh, it's going to be the states that have to step up to the plate instead. Talking to Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana, Congressman, uh, you made some news, and because this is very contested race and a very important race to win for Republicans in Ohio, when Ren- when Senator Portman decided as a moderate Republican, I am not going to run again. One of those high-profile candidates is J.D. Vance. He uh, made it clear that he wants to run uh, much on the Trump agenda, even though he was an early critic. You have endorsed J.D. Vance. What about him have you sold? Because I know the president, the former president has not sold on him yet. Yeah, not, not yet, but J.D. has an opportunity over the next year and a half to, to tell the state of Ohio his story, where he came from. You know, he, Brian, he's a lot like me. I mean, I was, a, I was a Trump skeptic in the beginning, and over four years I watched President Trump fight back and fight for American first principles. He's the most effective uh, a president of my lifetime. I'll go to my grave defending his record, but I didn't always feel that way. And I, I said things uh, 
five years ago that I wish that I wish I wouldn't have said in hindsight that that now I know I was wrong then I mean JD said a couple of things like that as well but over time he recognized what I recognized that that there that that President Trump uh, President Trump uh, uh, built a platform and an agenda an American first agenda on trade policies on immigration policies on foreign policy um, that that put American workers first and JD wrote the book on it I mean, Hillb- Hillbilly Elegy is a book that recognizes uh, that that's the, the forgotten working men and women in this country who didn't have a voice right. until Donald Trump became president. And that, that's why I've, I've endorsed him. I believe when I look around the country, I can't find a candidate in America today who, who identifies with that platform, can articulate it better than J.D. Vance. I, I wrote a memo. You might I, I think you and I might have talked about it at one point to Kevin McCarthy about how do we accept the gift the greatest gift that Donald Trump gave us and making the Republican Party the party of the working class for the first time since Reagan. You can find it at workingclassgop.com. And I gave McCarthy some advice on what Republicans can do to seize that platform. And the first phone call I got in America, and, and I, got, I got a lot of attention. I heard from a lot of people. Uh, the first phone call I got was from J.D. Vance, who said he read the memo. He, he agrees with it 100 percent. And he wants to go out and and uh, and talk about it and show support for it. That was long before he was a Senate candidate. He gets it, and uh, that that's why I'm proud to support him. I come from the state next door in Indiana. I don't get to a vote in Ohio, but when I look at what's going on in our country today and where where our Republican Party is going. Uh, J.D. Vance is exactly what this country needs. So uh, here's what he said about this infrastructure bill, uh, the one that's so uh, bipartisan, and the 3.5 trillion that's just Democrats. I think $425 billion of infrastructure is good. The problem is all the other things that come along with it. Uh, And we've basically given the Democrats a ton of their wish list and I think not gotten a ton in response. So, for example, there's a new government bureaucracy created in this infrastructure package that basically is targeted at the problem of too many men driving big rigs. This is an actual provision in the the legislation. Why do we need to spend taxpayer money to try to get fewer men and more women into the big rig profession? It doesn't make any sense. So I think, again, the problem here is not that we don't need infrastructure. We do. The problem is that they're spending money on the wrong things. So he's against that, and uh, I'm sure you agree with that. I've read your remarks. Now, the bipartisan bill is going to run into some headway. I can't believe I'm, I'm hearing this, but tell me if, you, if I'm to believe this. According to the New York Times, moderates led by Josh Gottenheimer, the so-called Problem Solvers Group, or whatever they call themselves, I think they have a different nickname, uh, nine of them said, we are not, told Nancy Pelosi, we're not voting for the one, we're not voting for the 3.5 until you pass the 1.2. So Nancy Pelosi said just the opposite. I will not pass the 1.2 until I draft, write, and pass the 3.5. Now, 100 left-wing Democrats have said we will not touch the bipartisan deal, the one that uh, J.D. Vance and you do not want, until they pass the 3.5. They've only got about a five-seat advantage. Is this real? Is, what, what should I see in that? You live with these people. I can read about these people. Yeah, it's uh, th- this is the o- the only way to stop this massive one one point two trillion plus three point five trillion boondoggle. But by-, by the way, I mean consider them to be the same the same package because unfortunately, what happened in the Senate uh, gave uh, played right into Nancy Pelosi's hands to sort of merge these two efforts. I mean, the- these Republican senators that went and thought they were negotiating in good faith with Joe Biden on an infrastructure plan and then came back and supported it just played right into Pelosi's hands. But the only way to defeat it 
will be for Democrats to defeat it themselves. I mean, and you're right; they only have a five-seat majority in the House. You have you have the the so-called uh, the, the the more uh, centrist Democrats fighting with the progressives on the socialist left. The AOCs they're playing chicken with each other at this point. And uh, while I'm not ready to declare victory on defeating this disastrous package, um, it is good. It is good and and somewhat fun to watch these uh, two factions of the Democrat Party fight with each other. And try to figure it out. But we do go back to Washington on the 23rd uh, in the House, August 23rd, and uh, that that week is when you'll see this play out. And ho- hopefully, the the hopefully the, the fireworks between the two factions and the Democrat Party only get heightened because that that's ultimately what will defeat this deal. Because we don't need it. We're not in a great recession. This is not an emergency time to print more money. We are have a unemployment just over five percent. We have an economy that's growing. Why would we put three point five trillion? It's not in our country's interest. I don't I don't think that Clinton or JFK or past Democrats would have done this stuff before. It, it, it's not it's just pure agenda socialist thinking. And even Democrats couldn't nominate a socialist. Why do we have to live with his programs? Yeah, it's just why this is not my Demo- my, my grandpa's Democrat Party. I mean, I've. I've You've, you've got to recognize that JFK wouldn't fit in the Democrat Party uh, today. And keep in mind also, Brian, that it, the $1.9 trillion so-called stimulus COVID relief package that passed in January is what is directly tied to the inflation that you see today. R- real wages have declined. The cost of everyday goods have increased because of the $1.9 trillion stimulus package that passed back in January. Imagine if the Democrats succeed and passing another $5 trillion in spending, you're going to see inflation double, triple, get even worse and out of control. And then and then uh, what we've been saying all along, J- Jimmy Carter 2.0, the Joe Biden administration, is uh, is a complete and unmitigated catastrophe and disaster unlike anything we've ever seen before. Congressman, uh, this is very impactful times. Uh, thanks so much for giving us some of yours. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. You got it. Congressman Jim Banks, man, a lot going on. Listen, I'll take your calls now. I know I'm looking at the lines. You have a lot to say. Very few people agree with me. I look at this as an epic disaster in Afghanistan. This is our Saigon, 1975. I think about all the Vietnam veterans. Now my heart goes out to the Afghan veterans and those uh, survivors that lost loved ones. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Your call's next. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I had to ask for a friend. They want to know, and I won't say her name. She wants to know, what phase of dating are you currently in? Zero. I'm at phase zero on dating. Uh, this is... <laughs> There's no duration on phase zero. Yeah, uh, wow. There is no automatic time that you go to phase one. You could stay at phase zero for months, by the way. I think New York City will be fully reopened before I get out of phase <laughs> zero on dating. Uh. That was uh, some of the fun days when the heroic Governor Cuomo was 
uh, made uh, the ill-fated decision on nursing homes, lied about the final numbers, used his influence for donors and family to get them tested nobody else got. And, of course, judging by the 11 accusers where a lot of the sexual harassment took place, he is now, for some mysterious reason, giving himself two weeks' notice to leave office. Kathy Hochul's already said she's going to run in 2022. It makes me wonder if there's a need to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Anderson hits it in the And just like that, Tim Anderson crossed a two-run homer off the Yankees pitcher, Zach Britton. Uh, and the Yankees, instead of having the massive comeback, they put him up 8-7 in the ninth. They lose 9-8 in the walk-off win. And one of the most miraculous baseball scenes I've seen in so long over in Dyersville, Iowa, the site of uh, the Field of Dreams of soaring Kevin Costner. The teams walked out of the brush, out of the corn. Kevin Costner was first, made speech references. It was just phenomenal. The White Sox dressed in their retro uniforms. And then you had the Yankees out there. What a scene, right? I tell you what, you know, it, I loved the retro uniform, especially the White Sox. The Yankees looked okay. The only thing that bothered me about the uniform was seeing the Nike logo on it. I was like, I wish they would have just taken that logo off. Just to a lot of people full. are saying that. Do oh, I, really? Yeah, a lot of people are saying that. And enough, because Nike's in our face now. We're a China company. Next. Surprising study. This is fascinating. Metabolism in adulthood does not slow as commonly believed. A new study done by important people. Researchers found that metabolism peaks around the age of one when babies can burn calories 50 times faster than adults, then gradually declines 3% a year until 20. From there, metabolism plateaus at 60 when it starts to slowly decline again by less than 1%. So we have a shot. Life might be a little bit fairer. But you know what, though? There goes the excuse. Now when you see old people say, oh, yeah, my metabolism slow and I'm carrying the spare tire. Next. The Villages is the fastest growing metro area of the decade and maybe for the future. In case you don't know, in Florida, it's a 55-plus community. A remarkable story. They took vacant land and converted it to change lives. You have an exciting next chapter in your life, just not a place to fill or run out the string. We actually did a live show there. Very impressive. Good job. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Sandra Smith with us, uh, the famed anchor, uh, who's going to be working from 1 to 3 today, is back. She'll be in studio. So another reason to get Fox Nation. We come to you from New York, heard around the country, around the world. And then Hicks and Gracie will be here. I know if you don't follow UFC, you don't know the Gracie name. If you don't follow grappling in any way or fighting, mixed martial arts, you probably don't know. Just know he's one of the most famous, one of the most famous families in the planet. Uh, he was one of the, at one point, the best fighter in the world. And he wrote a book just about his uh, unbelievable life. And, you know, still a guy. He's dealing with a lot of injuries now. But still, uh, yeah, I think you'll really enjoy the book. And you're going to enjoy the interview for Brazilian Heritage. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The White House, uh, they're more concerned about uh, trying to attack me than actually dealing with the problems of the country. I don't see them dealing with the border crisis. I don't see them dealing with inflation. Obviously, energy prices are out of control, uh, but yet they have this obsession with Florida. Uh, That is Governor DeSantis, COVID-19. As Delta digs in, the administration is playing politics. They are doubling the number of cases coming out of the CDC. As it relates to Florida, that's a flat-out lie and diabolical. We'll talk about that. Number two. I firmly believe that it is a national security crisis. Immigration is just a subcomponent of it. Whether it be COVID, whether it be the, the, the massive crisis we're having on the southwest border right now, uh, or whether it just be the, the general tone of society and the anti-police movements. Uh, that's 21-year high. 21-year high. That is from a Rodney Scott, a border agent. 212,000 illegals crossed our border just in July. The administration so far has let in over a million, 1.3 million overall. Even the Homeland Security Secretary knows this thing is, it's not uh, upta- It's not okay. This is not sustainable. We caught him off mic. You'll hear what he said to lawmakers behind the scenes. Number one. I would expect attempted suicide attacks against U.S. personnel in Afghanistan. And I would also worry about green on blue attacks. There are many Afghan security forces that are immensely angry at what the U.S. has done here, and they could take out their weapon and shoot the Americans that they're working with. It's all on you, Joe. Wanting to get out is one thing, not planning on how to get out and wasting 20 years of battling in Afghanistan and influence in the region and our security uh, in the balance. Now to scramble to get our citizens out of the country instead of helping the Afghan government keep the country. This is an embarrassment to the country. Where do you find President Biden? In Delaware on vacation. It's called Saigon 2. I'm not going to spend the whole time talking about one of the most disconcerting things that I've, I've reported on and discussed and analyzed. 3,000 of our Marines and Army men and women are been, uh, going to be put into Kabul and 2,000 in Qatar and another 2,000 in Kuwait should this go awry as the Taliban move rapidly have picked up 18 province capitals en route to surrounding Kabul where our embassy has 4,000 Americans and many allies with us who gave up so much of their lives and their families' lives to fight with us and believe in us. But still, we picked them up, we picked up and left because that's something that Vice President Biden, the former chairman of relations as Senator Biden, wanted to do. John Kirby yesterday, cut one. The president has ordered the reduction of civilian personnel uh, uh, at our embassy in Kabul uh, and the acceleration of the evacuation of Afghan special immigrant visa applicants from the country. Uh, To enable this safe, orderly reduction, the Secretary of Defense has directed the department to position temporary enabling capabilities to ensure the safety and security of U.S. and partner civilian personnel. Unbelievable. So uh, here we go. We've given $2 trillion to that area, not to make a Jeffersonian democracy. We never planned on that. In the beginning, Lloyd Jerga tried to see if they could set up some systems. But we wanted to look out for our national security while making sure that wasn't a terror den for terrorists, most of which want to wipe out Americans and Westerners. That's why NATO got involved, too. 20 years since 9-11, now we sit there and we watch these guys celebrate what they perceive as a victory. There's no doubt about it. We are leaving. Even if Admiral John Kirby, who I like, said this, cut nine. 
the military will still remain committed to helping protect the diplomatic presence that remains inside Afghanistan. So nobody is abandoning Afghanistan. It's not walking away from it. Uh, it's doing the right thing at the right time to protect our people. We are abandoning them. And just to protect our people has never been the objective. The fact is that Gahani is going to end up as a professor somewhere in America. The fact is, with 2,500 troops doubled up by the NATO troops, that's that what was left of the Afghan government would have been able to continue to exist, which means al-Qaeda and ISIS wouldn't. They show up, we blow them out. And meanwhile, we're nestled perfectly between China, Russia, Iran, and Pakistan. Tell me how that's not in our national interest. So meanwhile, about the ramifications of our leaving— and Joe Biden, again, I keep this in mind all the time. Our former Secretary of Defense, Gates, wrote in his book, I like Joe Biden, but he's been wrong about every national security issue uh, over the last four decades. Once again, he's wrong. Remember, he was the one who did not want to do the attack on bin Laden. Remember, he told Obama to call it off. He was the one who told General Mattis, we're all pulling out of all our troops in Iraq. They don't need us anymore. We had to go back in. We have this other group called the JV team. You might know him as ISIS. And then he said, we're pulling out of Afghanistan, never fully staffing uh, and giving enough troops for the surge led by General Petraeus. Uh, in Afghanistan. Listen to what he said on July 8th, cut 14. In the short term, there's a couple of concerns. Um, no. one Is the Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world. Yeah, and how did that go? They now have our equipment. They now have raided the prisons, let everybody out, most of which were terrorists, even too brutal for the Taliban. But now they're out and they're free. What's at stake? Mike Morrell on CBS, cut 16. So I don't think so, Dana. Um, there is no way we're going to win this war. We've been fighting it for 20 years. Uh, we could fight it for another 20 years, and the Taliban will still be waiting us out. What I think we have to do going forward is we have to figure out a way to collect intelligence without an embassy, to collect intelligence on what al-Qaeda is doing in Afghanistan, to monitor their plans, uh, their, their capabilities, and we have to figure out how the U.S. military, if those capabilities rebuild to the point of a threat to the homeland, how we're going to use the military to degrade those capabilities and not allow them to attack us again. Well, listen, uh, as uh, Fred Kagan writes in the New, uh, New York Times today, and General Keene told me on Fox and Friends today, you could want to leave. We understand the sentiment. Nobody wanted to be in Afghanistan. It was in our interest to be in Afghanistan. And the way you leave has everything to do with how it's perceived. General Jack Keene, cut 20. It's a sad, frustrating moment to watch an ill-conceived, and I emphasize ill-conceived, hasty withdrawal turn into what is now an embarrassing uh, retreat. And why is that? The IG from the Pentagon just reported out that Taliban offensive began in May of this year, a month after President Biden made the announcement that we were pulling all U.S. troops out by 31 August. The Taliban knew full well that the United States, in that short a period of time, had to close seven military bases, that the focus of the U.S. leadership and its troops would be on just that, no time and no resources to help the Afghan security forces during a major Taliban offensive. Listen, 
That's a military expert, one of the best in the business, a resource for countless administrations. And he would have been Secretary of Defense if he wanted. So here's what Fred Kagan wrote today, senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Keep in mind, this is in the New York Times. He said he pins the blame squarely on the president of the United States. Quote, a disastrous Taliban takeover wasn't inevitable. President Biden said his hands were tied to withdrawal given the awful peace deal negotiated by the Trump administration and the Taliban. But there still was a way to pull out an American troops while giving our Afghan partners a better chance to hold the gains we made with them over the last two decades. Biden chose otherwise. The way he announced the drawdown and eventual departure of American troops at the start of the fighting season on a rapid timeline and sans adequate coordination with the Afghan government has in part gotten us into this situation. Okay. You can be tired of it. It's not up to you to be tired of it. Uh, it is our national interest to end it right. one 408 7669 Sandra Smith will be with us shortly, but of course we'll take your calls. And then Hicks and Gracie at the bottom of the hour. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is unsustainable. Uh, These numbers cannot continue. We cannot... um get to a point where we were a couple weeks ago, and we're going to make sure that doesn't happen. We're looking at the policy options. So that was uh, Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas meeting behind the scenes with uh, Democratic leaders, including Henry Cuellar, who's being primaried because he's so effective at doing his job, caring more about his constituents than he does his party. Uh, and joining us right now is, is Sandra Smith. And Sandra, you're going to be hosting your show one to three. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, hey, it's hard to imagine that this won't be one A or one B as your topic. What do you think of that leaked audio? It's interesting. And I just uh, actually spoke with a judge down in Hidalgo County who was of that group that met with Mayorkas. What he told me is he asked him point blank to stop releasing migrant families into his community. Take what you will from the leaked audio. Mayorkas says he feels like he can get this situation under control. We have not seen any evidence of that yet. I will tell you what he said to me, that judge. I have a water leak and it's gushing and I need a plumber to stop it. But what you have been promising is to send people with mops for the water. But the flow is still coming. So the only way that I know to stop the flow is to put a moratorium on asylum seekers. He went on to tell us, Brian, this morning, that judge in Hidalgo County, that their population is now testing 16% of the population is testing positive for COVID. I dug up our latest numbers. He's about right. It's, it's the, Our latest numbers show 13% of his county. These people feel helpless, Brian. And these numbers, the, 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 the number of migrants coming over the border, as you know, we look at them daily. They are record highs. They're dealing with that, but they're dealing with this COVID. In Hidalgo County, the number of hospital beds is shrinking so fast that this judge said more re- more residents are coming down with the virus. They've got 37 pediatric patients currently hospitalized, including 14 children in the ICU. That is a disaster. 
Sandra, why do so few people tie what's happening at the border to the COVID-19 surge in our country? Because we know they're getting on buses that taxpayers pay for. Shipping them all And over. being dropped over. But they're not being dropped off in Beverly Hills or, or the east side, Upper East Side of New York City. They're being dropped off in working-class neighborhoods. Not that that matters for COVID-19, but it should matter for the mindset of the American people because they know— Maybe these people, they, their, their buildings and their, their institutions are already strained. And that should why worry do people, everyone. Why, they're, they're coming from over 100 countries, many of which vaccinate, if they do have vaccinations, they're in the single digits. And you're on us to get into 70 or 80 percent, not taking in natural immunity? And what I find first and foremost disturbing is the lack of coverage of that. And, you know, I watch those daily press briefings with Jen Psaki. She gets a question or two on it. But listen to how she responds. Well, we take accurate and, and accountable measures uh, for COVID. We, we uh, require PPE to be worn and, you know, they're administered tests. Uh, that, that's not so much the case. They're told to go get a test if they are showing symptoms of COVID. They're told to go get a test. So they're told when they're in border control that if you're showing signs and symptoms of COVID, that they then have to go on their own into the public health care system to get a test. That's not happening, Brian. They're being let out into the general population. So while on a nationwide level that we're all dealing with this virus, talking about sending our kids back to school, still sitting six feet apart, wearing masks and up, you've got these uh, COVID positive migrants coming over the border and getting shipped to American towns all over the country. And this is this is fixable, and it was fixable, and it was fixed, and there was always going to be strain. What I think I think it finds so disturbing is that when president when the border wasn't working, the president addressed it. He goes, "What's happening at the border is unacceptable. We got to get down there." He fired people, rotated them out, said, "You're acting. You're out." Boom, boom, boom. So no one ever thought that when when things weren't out of control, he didn't deny it. The fact that President Biden and the vice president, I might be in Vietnam, I don't know where she is, mm-hmm. have disappeared during this. Mayorkas shows up once a month mm-hmm. and sees these Democratic leaders who say, where are you? Are you in the school or have you made up your mind whether this is intentional or not? And the the best thing they have to say is they're appreciative of Mayorkas's visit. Because, because why? We haven't seen the administration down there. Kamala Harris, Joe Biden. This is crisis worthy enough that this administration should be all hands on deck. That is not happening, Brian. The situation is only getting worse. And on that note, as I was discussing co-anchoring with Bill Hemmer this morning on America's Newsroom, you look around and you look at the the top stories on this Friday morning in mid-August, and it's not good. It's just really not good. Whether it's COVID, the border, Afghanistan, I mean, they can make the case that the economy is recovering. Fine. But is that the result of any Biden economic policy? Or is that simply they finally let the doors open for small businesses and restaurants and retailers? Right. Just when you shut everything down and then put the lights on right away, you see improvement. Sandra, I got to get your take on this story in The New York Times today. Uh, that talked about what's happening behind the scenes in the House, Mm -hmm. that the so-called moderates and Democrats said, we're not even looking at the three Democrats. We're not looking at the $3.5 trillion uh, until you pass the bipartisan bill, which is $1.2. Now, 100 Democrat, liberal Democrats say, we will not pass the $1.2 trillion, Nancy Pelosi, Mm -hmm. until you draft, write, and ratify the $3.5. That, to me, is the debt. This is in the New York Times. It's not a whispering campaign. Mm -hmm. I don't see that being salvageable. I think this is absolutely remarkable. We just talked to Senator Rob Portman about this, who obviously supported the initial bill. Infrastructure has bipartisan support. There is no doubt. But you are talking about fundamentally changing the country with that massive amount of spending, Brian. I mean, you have to stop. What I 
point out these stories all over the you're talking about this administration could be drastically changing the future of this country and what it looks like today it's remarkable. With, especially with the 3.5. The 1.9 that still can't be spent would say repurpose it to cops or use it for your roads and bridges. The 1.9 trillion that he takes a bow for, the rescue plan, which just adds to our national debt and uh, and the devaluing of, uh, of the dollar. Now, what do you think the administration thinks about inflation being number one, uh, crime being number two, and three being uh, number three, illegal immigration being one of the chief concerns of America? At what point do they begin to panic on the Democratic side? Inflation, they should be panicking because you look at the midterm elections and there will be consequences. If people don't feel like they have purchasing power, it's costing more to put dinner on the table, to fill up their gas tank, to build a home or maintain that home. There will be consequences at the ballot box, whether it's that or crime, Brian. When we head to the ballot box, we ask ourselves two questions. Do we feel safe walking down the street in our hometown? Many Americans would say no in this very moment as we see crime spiking in all these American cities. And number two, they're going to ask themselves if that dollar in their wallet goes as far as it did before Joe Biden was president. And right now it does not. The cost of just about everything has gone up. And you saw the Fox News polling this morning, I'm sure. Um, people are feeling it, and it's having a big impact on them, and they're worried about it. And that's why so many news networks and politicians are grasping for Donald Trump to do something controversial because they want to get us eye off the things that really matter. We're not buying it. It's crazy. We're going to watch you from 1 to 3. Is that okay? I'll be there. All right. Thanks uh, for having me. With John Roberts? Uh, John Roberts is off today. It will be Trace Gallagher filling in from the West Coast. Very, He's a very talented young Trace. man. Yeah. We like him a lot. Thanks, hey, Brian. When we come back, one of the most unique guests we've ever had on here, Hickston Gracie. One of the finest fighters in the world during his day with a member of the fighting family, Gracie's. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. How I started in jujitsu, I was in Rio de Janeiro. I was going around to all the different martial arts schools and working out. Every school I went to, they kept the name Gracie Jiu-Jitsu kept popping up. I said, I've got to find out who they are. So I finally tracked them down in Rio, and I met Mr. Gracie, the father. I met Hickson Gracie, who was the world champion at that time. So I asked him if I could work out with him. I was a black belt in judo, so I thought I had some pretty good grappling skills. Anyway, I got on the ground with Hickson Gracie, and it's like I'd never had a lesson in my life. He played with me. <laughs> that is Chuck Norris, uh, probably the most famous martial artist in the world, talking about one of the best that ever was and is, Hickson Gracie uh, from the legendary Gracie family. He's got a brand-new book out uh, called Breathe, A Life in Flow. Uh, Hickson, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian, thank you, my friend. Thanks for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be with you, my brother. How yeah. are you doing? So Hickson and I, I don't know if you remember, but I did the first four UFCs with Jim Brown when Horion was running wow. the thing and, and Hoyce was the champion, had to fight three times, and people would point to you, and they say, see that guy over there? Uh, he's the best in the world, but it's Hoyce's time right now. And I've always wanted to watch you fight in person. I never had a chance to. But now I feel like I did after reading your book. 
first off, tell us tell us everyone about your your fighting family. Yes, uh, I born and raised in a traditionally fami- uh, martial arts family, and uh, my uncles, my father, from the beginning of the century, they start to develop uh, our Brazilian style of jiu-jitsu, Japanese jiu-jitsu. So, was a life a very exciting life. Uh, to see my, my, my parents like challenge other fighters and other styles and become a Gracie is a part of a tradition which soon, since we born, you got a gi, not a diaper. So <laughs> you become part of, <laughs> you become part of a, a traditional and you become a difference, you know, in terms of what you eat, how you see the world, how you should prepare yourself. So, my life story is a very interesting process of overcoming obstacles and, and controlling emotions and, and sacrifice in training to, to become effective and, and be the best one you can be. Dropped out so of school. It was a pretty inter- yeah. Yes. You, you dropped out of school at 13 uh, to fight and teach. And your dad said, yeah, I'll, you know, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to, I'll keep you a room and board, but you're going to have to earn your own keep. And you did with your brother, Horion. When did you realize that not only could you be a great fighter, that you could be the greatest Gracie? Oh, my life was very much, I always been very competitive and I started to compete with six years old. And, uh, and all my life I was being tested on the mat. And in a very early age, I felt like I had the talent and the emotional control to, to, to excel in the sport. So I was very much in, in love with the sport, the action. But after that, I start to teach a little bit and start to understand uh, is, is much more involved because jiu-jitsu is such a perfect uh, sensorial art where it makes you feel like you, you start to feel angles and levers and, and possibilities which you could, don't have otherwise because my father, Helio Grace, was a very weak person. And in order to develop... The, the, the efficiency, he started to, to, to change in brute power for leverage. So once I start to capture that, uh, that possibility, I start to fi- also be very excited to teach and to, and to bring people to an empowerment right. situation. So all this combined make me feel like I was in a, in a, in a movement to not only become a champion of the family and, and putting my commitment 100%, right but also bring some kind of understanding for people of how much martial arts can help them in their own lives in terms of emotional control, strategy, visualization, and, and, and so on. Too. Because martial arts is a metaphor for life. As you become a good martial artist, you know how to live your life and seek for happiness. So the idea of conquering is, is about anything you, you're looking for, either buy a car or, or a relationship or a, or a business. So the relationship martial arts has with life becomes very interesting to me in terms of either I'm going to be a good fighter and make my students become good fighters, or either I'm going to be a good fighter and, become, and make my students become good people. So for me, right. it's a pleasure to be involved with jiu-jitsu, no matter if it's for efficiency or for empowerment. And, and Hickson, I watched you with Joe Rogan. Obviously, 
you know, he knows martial arts. He's a he, he's a martial artist and he's a commentator in UFC. He's got the best podcast in the country. Um, and you talked about breathing. The one thing I think people should listen to right now, you're not talking about making the next great champion. Whatever you're doing, this will make you better. And that became clear in this book. Uh, and I'm going to bring you to an excerpt of it. You say about winning and losing. You said, what I remember, uh, you said, because when you were six years old, you would die in a fight, and there was no division for you. You say, because I was six, there was no division. So my dad put me in the bracket with older kids. Right now, before I was about to step into the mat to fight, he said, Hickson, if you lose this fight, I give you two gifts. If you win, I give you one. Would I realize that my dad wouldn't be upset if I lost? The pressure melted away. I lost the match, but I didn't feel bad because my dad wasn't mad. So that to you is so important for people listening right now. It is not all about winning. It's about competing, right? It's about having the courage to, to compete. Yes, and, and sometimes, you know, it's not even about the courage. It's about the, the, the capacity you have to, to surrender, you know, because sometimes you, you don't have the ability to compete or to fight. But in another aspect, if you understand better the situation, if you can evolve through, through a better understanding, you can accept, you can be spiritually using hope or patience or, or visualization. So martial arts give you the tools for you to seek for happiness. And, and, and one point in my life for me was fighting for win. At this moment in my life is winning without a fight. Because, you know, even though you don't have the physicality or the idea to, 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 to confront something. Right. You always have different ways to seek for happiness and, and, and finding strategies to, to cope with the situation where you, 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 you win in a way, you know, because you, you not feel like you're losing, but you just creating a better situation for, for victory in a, in a, in a complex way. Gotcha. Uh, you said for a young age, it was drilled into you that there was no shame in losing, but there was no shit, but there was shame in quitting or not fighting. So, you know, the, the one thing people should understand, I'm talking to a guy who might be the best fighter ever uh, to to and he could take on any discipline and conquer it because he could see weaknesses in everybody. But he was willing to put himself on the line. But every day was a struggle in your family. How big was your family? How often were you guys uh, rolling around on the mat? How often were you guys sparring as kids? Oh, it was a daily thing. You know, for us, uh, going to the mat or engage ourselves on the carpet and play, the, the, the engagement was a very natural recreational thing. It was not violent. It was not bloody. It was not, you know, scary. It was something which, like two puppy lions, play around and start to bite each other's neck just to feel the grips and stuff. So we we play with each other, and the older ones help the, the youngest ones to to develop the maneuvers and the and the ability to the inquire reflexes and ability to fight. So it's always been different because in other families people say, "Don't do that. It's too violent. Don't play with your brother like this, or, or you're gonna hurt him." In our family, you just say. Oh, okay, so keep him control. Let's see if he can escape and come. <laughs> so it was a different mentality, yeah. you know. And, and among all this, I feel like something I really like to emphasize on this book is the fact how, how breathing yeah. 
these are important for, for let's life talk about that let's talk about that what is yes. breathing how everybody can benefit whether you're an actor or whether you're in a tense situation whether the pandemic has overwhelmed you you have anxiety talk about breathing yes breathing people take for granted because once you get slapped on your butt and start to crying you feel like you 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 go and well to to breathe our whole life but if you're not exercising if you're not understanding the function of the breathing system and the importance of it because you can stay seven days without food you can stay three days without water but five minutes without without oxygen you're dead so you need to be able to hyperventilate with more efficiency and people who don't know how to breathe technically they breathe with the higher part of the lung and leaving the bottom part which is the biggest not not functional so working with the diaphragm breathing makes a completely difference in your system and the way you, you, you use oxygen because sometimes if you pour if you have a poor breathing system you cannot impact your brain yep. or your heart and the lungs has the capacity to really interfere in your emotionals in your in your stress levels in everything from your from your intelligent uh, intellectual aspect or emotional, but also interfere in your heartbeats and the way you, you control your heart rate. So either the stress coming from your heart or the stress coming from your brain or tiredness or fatigue or, or, or confusion or lack right. of, of intuition. So by breathing properly, you become a different monster. You know, I, I always been an athlete. I always like to do sports and activities and I, after I started learning how to breathe properly with 16 years old, I become a better fighter, better man, better father, uh, I'm much more in control of my life. And, and that makes a huge difference, you know. I know, I understand. And, and guys, problem. everyone listening right now, you're a college athlete. You're about to start practice for, uh, for soccer or football. Read this book. It talks about it. Uh, and, and it goes into detail. And if you get them online, if you want to look at the Joe, po- uh, Joe Rogan podcast, get the video portion because he demonstrates it. Hickson, tell everybody what the role your family had in creating UFC. I think my brother Harden make a huge, you know, when he creates the UFC, the, object, the objective was just a, a confrontation of styles to prove our Brazilian jiu-jitsu was the most effective martial arts in confronting with others. But now becomes like just a, 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 a huge entertainment aspect with different rule sets. And now everybody does all the martial arts. That's why mixed martial arts. So everybody knows jiu-jitsu, knows taekwondo, box, wrestling, kickboxing, and they all using that for their personal abilities. So it's not more style against style, but it now becomes huge and very popular for the entire world. So do you, do you feel as though that do you really wish that you got the nod over Hoist in those early days and were able to compete uh, the, the way your younger brother did, who, by the way, is a great guy? Yes, I was expecting to fight in the UFC, but then when Hoist took place and he won, I, could, I don't need to replace him for anything. I started to make my career in Japan and did great fights in Japan and exposed the jiu-jitsu to Japan also. So it was a great for me. It was, you know, no regrets. But UFC was a great event. And if I was fighting in the UFC in the early age, it would be good too. So right. both um, ways are great, man. Jiu-jitsu is a great 
art, martial arts, and now it's spreading all over the world, and I'm happy to, to be a, a, a good entrepreneur for the sport. Do you, um, I know you have back problems now. It's hard for you, to, you know, to, to compete like you used to. Uh, do you still teach? Uh, do you still give clinics? Is that, is that what you're doing on a regular basis? Yeah, now I have Hickson Dot Academy, which is a platform where I try to off- offer some content in jiu-jitsu for beginners, for intermediates, and high and, and advanced people. And uh, I feel like this is a great way for me to communicate and empower people through the world. Now with this virtual scenario, is getting bigger, so I'm very happy to do that. And eventually, I'm gonna do some more like instructional videos and and books about the specifics of how to breathe properly to become more empowered to use breathing for you know for being an executive a police officer or exactly an athlete or anything so hickson where do we get where do we get some of these demonstrations where do we get go to youtube yeah go to the hickson dot academy okay which is my platform and then from there to you're going to start to get better into this universe. <laughs> Got it. And by the way, uh, go pick up his book. It's called Breathe, A Life in Flow. It's not to make you a great fighter. It's to make you a better person. You talk about your journey growing up in Brazil, which was extremely tough and challenging. And you, the one thing I walked away with that it can benefit everyone, you say, your father taught you many things. But he said he taught you you got to do a good job staying calm in bad positions. So life's going to put you through stress. And even if someone's got you in a chokehold where you want to quit, if you could stay calm in bad positions, that's one of the most valuable things you could do, whether it's a traffic accident or a challenge in a bar or whether it's your boss breathing down your neck. Final thought on that? Definitely, man. I think you become, you know, when you're able to to have a better perspective of your life emotionally, spiritually, and physically, you're able to to better have a better control and better strategies for seeking for happiness. Because in the end of the day, you know, you have to use our skills to be happy. And happy happiness is a mutant thing. You, what makes you happy today needs to be readjusted to keep you happy 10 years from now. So gotcha. this fine-tune adjustments and, and, and ideas of right. evolutionary process has to be there. And when you have a good, clear mind, that's there to help you and, and gotcha. support you through life. And I'm going to talk to Hickson on the Jesse Waters show that you're going to see Saturday night. Hickson Gracie, thanks so much. Pick up his book, Breathe, A Life in Flow. Brian, thank you very much, my brother. God bless. Take go, care. Go get him. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When we went to... Rio, Rio, and I had been working on the script of that movie and stuff, and I was like, I was really interested in this idea that Banner is desperate for control, that he desperately needs to control his heart rate, his breathing, that it's a massive liability in his mind if he can't control his emotions and his adrenaline. And I was like, well, who in the world? But I'd seen the videos of him doing the um, amazing stuff with his stomach. I just was like, we have to. And, and everyone was like, who's that? I was like, Philistines. You're all Philistines. Like, I was like, find me Hicks and Gracie and ask him if he'll do a scene with me in the movie being the guy who's training Banner to like calm himself. And he was there and he, and he did it with us.
And that was Hicks and Gracie and Ed Norton talking about him and his role. So listen, even if I introduce you to him for the first time today, guy's pretty extraordinary. Um, and anybody in the martial arts community, people that met him or trained with him, uh, they're in awe of him. And there's a reason. He's a really good guy and unbelievably talented. His name is Hicks and Gracie. The book is called Breathe, A Life and Flow. And I'm going to be talking to him on television uh, on Jesse Waters' show. You're going to see me over the weekend. And I have a great show lined up. We're going to open up with Afghanistan. And I'm going to go from Michael Waltz to General Jack Keane and, and just see if there's some way to pull this out of the fire. Uh, and we also have Devin Nunez will be coming up. It's going to be a great show. Hope you can join me then. And thanks so much for listening. Keep it here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.